Well, I'll invite you to take your Bibles and open to Mark chapter 6. As you find your way there, let me put a, a picture or a scene in your mind or back into your mind. It's the setting we were in last week and that we're going to pick back up in this morning. We stopped right in the middle of a story. So I want to encourage you to get the, the scenery back in your mind. We're at a lakeshore in a remote area. It's a desolate place, a wilderness area along the shore of the Sea of Galilee. And it's here that Jesus has planned to bring his disciples to this getaway, this time of rest. Remember, Jesus had sent out his disciples. He had sent out the 12. They had gone into all the region proclaiming the message of repentance, uh, casting out demons, healing the sick. They had come back to Jesus. And as they came back to him, the crowds were persistent. And Jesus said, come away with me. Let's go and rest. And so they would take a boat to this remote area where they could just be alone with Christ. But you'll remember that things did not go as they had planned. The popularity of Jesus, the popularity of these disciples who had gone around casting out demons, it was at a fever pitch. And so there's people continually coming, so much so that the scripture says that they couldn't even find time to eat. Jesus said, let's go, let's rest. They get in a boat. They sail along the shore, headed toward this desolate area, but the crowds don't let them go alone. We're told that the crowds followed them and actually arrived there before they did. So here's the, the scene to have in your mind. Jesus and his disciples land on the shore. They're in the middle of nowhere. They're in the wilderness. But as they get off the boat, there are people everywhere. Thousands of people have gone out into the wilderness, and they're waiting for them to arrive. And so we think of Jesus. Can you picture it? He's standing on the shore, boat behind him, and thousands of people ahead of him. Here he had come for a time of rest. And there's a congregation of thousands waiting for him. We spent time last week considering how Jesus responded to this crowd. How does Jesus respond to a crowd that won't even give him time to eat? We read in Mark chapter 6, verse 34. When Jesus went ashore, he saw a great crowd, and he had compassion on them, because they were like sheep without a shepherd. Are you back in the flow of last week now? Consider that response from Jesus. What we have in this verse is not only a description of the current situation, but it's a glimpse into the very heart of Christ. As he looks at this crowd, he doesn't see an interruption or a change of plans. He sees a people who are wandering in the wilderness, literally and spiritually. They're like sheep in need of a shepherd. They need someone who can protect them, who can guide them, who can provide for them. And Jesus, as he looks at this crowd, he has compassion. He sees them in need, and he knows that he is the one who has come to meet their needs. He's the shepherd who has come to rescue lost and wandering sheep. And so we spent time last week tracing through the Old Testament this reoccurring theme of the people of God described as sheep without a shepherd. 
We saw it from Moses. We saw it in Ezekiel. We saw it in Isaiah. The people of God described as wandering in the wilderness, lost without a guide. Sometimes having neglectful or abusive shepherds. They needed someone to rightly shepherd them. And the promises of God is that God would send the perfect shepherd. And we know he arrived in Christ. We read in Ezekiel chapter 34, verse 22, and this is just review from last week. God says, I will rescue my flock. They shall no longer be a prey. And I will judge between sheep and sheep. And I will set up over them one shepherd, my servant David. And he shall feed them. He shall feed them and be their shepherd. Promise of God. I will send you your shepherd. And we know that Jesus is the fulfillment of that promise. Jesus is that perfect shepherd who will gather the flock of God and be their perfect protector, provider, and guide. Jesus is the one who will call sheep to himself, bring them safe into the fold. So he says in John 10, I am the good shepherd. I know my own and my own know me. Just as the Father knows me and I know the Father, I lay down my life. For who? For the sheep. Once again, hear the heart of Christ. The heart of a loving and good shepherd A love so deep that he would give his life for lost and wandering sheep. This is what's going on as Jesus stands on the shore and looks at these thousands of people. He sees sheep without a shepherd and he knows this is why he had come. To call the lost sheep of the house of Israel. So what does he do? He sees the crowd. He's moved with compassion. But what's the action of the compassion? We talked last week about his first response was to teach them. We see this over and over. This is how Jesus, this is how he shows compassion. He proclaims the good news. He proclaims the gospel of the kingdom of God. He reveals himself as the hope of Israel. He teaches them, but what we're going to see this morning is he doesn't only proclaim who he is to these thousands who have gathered, but he shows who he is. So last week we looked at the way he felt and the way he saw them and who they were, and we heard that he proclaimed the message to them. This morning we're going to see how he tangibly shows them that he is, in fact, the true shepherd who can provide for his people. We're going to see that he shows his ability to provide for them spiritually by first providing for them physically. What's he going to do for this crowd of thousands? He's going to feed them out of a little boy's lunchbox. So do you have the scene in your mind? We're in a desolate place on the shore of the Sea of Galilee. There's Jesus and his disciples and thousands of people who have come into the wilderness. And that's where we pick up in Mark chapter 6. We're going to read starting in verse 34. I invite you to follow along and hear the word of God. When he went ashore, he saw a great crowd and he had compassion on them because they were like sheep without a shepherd. And he began to teach them many things. 
And when it grew late, his disciples came to him and said, This is a desolate place, and the hour is now late. Send them away to go into the surrounding countryside and villages and buy themselves something to eat. But Jesus answered them, You give them something to eat. And they said to him, Shall we go and buy 200 denarii worth of bread and give it to them to eat? Jesus said to them, How many loaves do you have? Go and see. And when they had found out, they said, five and two fish. And Jesus commanded them all to sit down in groups on the green grass. So they sat down in groups by hundreds and by fifties. And taking the five loaves and the two fish, he looked up to heaven and said a blessing. And broke the loaves and gave them to the disciples to set them before the people. And he divided the two fish among them all. And they all ate and were satisfied. And they took up 12 baskets full of broken pieces and of fish. And those who ate the loaves were 5,000 men. The grass withers and the flower fades, but the word of our God will stand forever. May God add his blessing to the reading and preaching of his word. Now, I'd be pretty surprised if there's anyone in the room or watching online who has not heard this story. The feeding of the 5,000. It's one of those stories that even those who grow up outside of the church have probably heard some passing reference to. It's arguably one of the best known miracles of Jesus. One of the reasons it's well known is because it's the only miracle of Jesus. Here's some trivia for you. Ask someone this week, what's the only miracle of Jesus that's told in all four Gospels? Well, the asterisk answer is the resurrection of Jesus, Okay. <laughs> But what miracle did Jesus perform himself for, for people to see? Well, it's the feeding of the 5,000. It's the only one recorded in all four of the Gospels. Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John all tell us this story. And we could very legitimately just come to the story and just let our jaws hit the floor and describe how five loaves of bread and two fish get distributed among 5,000 plus people. And it wasn't just a really good act of sharing. No. Jesus multiplied the bread. He multiplied the fish so that all of these people were fed to that were full and there were leftovers. And we could spend the next 30 minutes or so in just letting our jaw hit the ground as we try to take in the magnitude of the power of Christ. And that would be time well served. But I think there's more here for us to see. So what I hope to lead us in this morning is seeing how through this miracle... Jesus is showing himself to be the true shepherd of the people of God. I told you last week we looked at part one of the compassionate shepherd. I think that leads us into now the demonstration of how Jesus provides for those who are his. So keep in mind the need of the people for a shepherd. And what Jesus does here serves as his a demonstration of his desire and his ability to provide for his people. Jesus is the shepherd who is sufficient to supply the needs of his sheep. Also, as we go, just kind of setting some sta the stage for you a little bit, I want to help you to see that there's a lot of similarities between how Jesus provides for this crowd and how God provided for his people in the Old Testament. In both stories, one Brian read part of from Psalm 78 for us. The people of God in the wilderness, God fed them with 
manna, with bread. He satisfied their physical hunger as a demonstration of the fact that he was faithful and that he could care for his people. Now we see another crowd in the wilderness, once again fed by God, and once again, it's to convey to them that God can be trusted, that God is able. So it's a miracle that reveals the compassion of Christ and that all who trust in him can be satisfied fully. The question is, will this crowd see Jesus for who he really is? He sees them as sheep wandering and lost. The question is, how do they see themselves and how do they see Christ? And perhaps it's, this is the best question for us as well as we consider our own hearts this week. How do we see Jesus? How do we see ourselves? And do we recognize that he is the only one who can truly satisfy us? So I hope you'll hear this story this morning with fresh ears. Familiar, isn't it? I think I'm more nervous about teaching familiar passages than I am hard passages because hard passages you may have never heard taught before. You've heard this one taught many times. But it's been my prayer this week that God would use this familiar miracle to open our eyes to our our need for him and the satisfaction that's found through Christ. You still have the picture in your mind? Jesus on the shore, thousands of people gathered before him. Jesus teaches them, proclaiming the kingdom of God. And we don't know how long he taught, but it's kind of implied that it went on for a little while. What we see is that evening is drawing near and the disciples start to administrate. They start to recognize, here we are, in a sense, leading this large congregation, but it's getting late and we're in the middle of nowhere. I'm hungry, you're hungry, no doubt they're hungry. So they go to Jesus and present a plan. Verse 35, when it grew late, the disciples came to Jesus and said, this is a desolate place and the hour is now late. Send them away to go into the surrounding countryside and villages and buy themselves something to eat. Here we see the disciples with normal concerns and reasonable suggestions. They're thinking logistics and they make a plan. Let's make an announcement Church dismissed. Everyone go and get food. But what we see is that Jesus responds in a way they didn't expect. Jesus knows that he's going to use this opportunity to show the crowds, to show the disciples that he is the perfect shepherd who can feed his sheep. He's going to reveal himself. He's going to show his power. So notice the way he sets the stage. He doesn't go straight from here we are to here's what I'm going to do, but he leads the disciples. He takes time to have a conversation and he draws them in and pushes them to remember that they can trust him. They've suggested that the people be sent away, but Jesus makes another suggestion. Verse 37, he answered them, you give them something to eat. And maybe you've heard the story enough, you've read it enough times. If you're reading through the, the, the Bible reading plan, we read it in Matthew, we read it in Mark, and you know, it's coming. Keep reading it. May have lost the shock factor, and so we may 
not appreciate how ridiculous this must have sounded in the ears of the disciples. 5,000 plus people. And Jesus says, feed them. You give them something to eat. But don't miss what Jesus is doing. He's drawing them in. He's giving them an opportunity to trust him, to recognize who they are with. But the disciples don't ask a question that conveys their trust. Oh, Lord, we know you can do anything. You tell us how and we will. Instead, they respond the way you probably would. And I may as well. They respond by suggesting that the plan of God doesn't make sense. This is what we do. We see a situation and we only look at it from the horizontal perspective. We all know our natural limitations. We see the problem and it doesn't even occur to us that God may have a plan to do something that we did not expect. Here, Jesus is preparing to show the disciples and show the crowd that he is the all-sufficient shepherd and that he can provide for his people even when the odds seem stacked against them. But in the minds of the disciples, all they see is that Jesus has failed to appropriately assess the situation. Jesus says, you feed them. And instead of asking him a question that reveals their trust, they respond in a way that I would say is probably sarcastic. Okay, Jesus, you want us to go and spend 200 denarii and buy bread for all these people, as if there's a store that has enough. You probably don't deal in denarii. Probably don't have any in your wallet, so maybe you don't recognize the absurdity of the statement that they're saying. How much is 200 denarii? Well, it's about eight months' wages. A denarii in this time was about one day's average wage. 200 denarii, you can do the math. Think it gets us to about eight months. Just, just to hear the absurdity of their reply. They heard the absurdity, you feed them, so they come back with their own absurd reply. Yeah, I've got 200 denarii in my pocket, Jesus. It's going to go out. Here's the thing. Even together, they didn't carry this kind of money. So this wasn't a, Jesus, do you want us just to go? I mean, this wasn't a legitimate offer, okay? They didn't have that. They're pointing out that Jesus has not assessed the situation well. From their point of view, there's no way they can feed this crowd, and Jesus simply needs to send the crowd away. But of course, what they're not taking into account is that God works in ways that we do not expect, and that he can do things that we don't see as possible. This is part of being a follower of Jesus, isn't it? Learning that we can trust God even when what he says seems completely contrary to what we would expect. Even when what God asks us to do doesn't make sense according to our own natural tendencies. What we have here is Jesus preparing his disciples for yet another reminder that he can be trusted. Think back to the storm on the Sea of Galilee. Here they are on the shore of the same sea where not so long before the waves were coming into the boat and Jesus said, have you no faith? 
Again, Jesus is trying to encourage the disciples to trust him. Something that we see throughout the scriptures is this reoccurring theme. God showing himself in ways that show that he is able. And I don't think it's a coincidence that there's a lot of similarities between this story and the story of the nation of Israel in the wilderness. Both are stories of God providing physical food to his people to demonstrate his care. And do you remember, you should, we've already heard it this morning, do you remember how the people of God responded when God provided for them in the wilderness? Think back. Israel has just been freed by God from slavery in Egypt. They've been there for 400 years. God miraculously frees them from the clutches of Pharaoh. They're not long free. And you remember the, you remember the song of praise that Moses sings when they come out of the Exodus? It's just this big time of praise and celebration. And it's not long that they're in the wilderness till they start saying things like, I would rather be a slave in Egypt than to be out in this desert where we're going to starve to death. They don't understand God's plan. But of course, God provides. He starts sending manna from heaven. This miracle bread that shows up every day and they always have plenty to eat. God provides in a miraculous way. And for a short time, they recognize the provision of God. But not long before, once again, they're craving it, as we read in Psalm 78. Craving something more. The complaints go from, we want something to eat, to we don't like what you've given us to eat. So let me read just a portion of the story from Numbers chapter 11. Numbers 11, I'll start reading in verse 4. Now the rabble that was among them had a strong craving. And the people of Israel also wept again, saying, oh, that we had meat to eat. We remember the fish we ate in Egypt that cost nothing. The cucumbers and the melons and the leeks and the onion. You ready for lunch? The garlic. But now our strength is dried up. And there is nothing at all but this manna to look at. The complaints start again. This time it's not we don't have anything to eat. It's we don't like what we have been given to eat. And the people are discontent. Of course, Moses is their leader. He starts to feel the pressure, doesn't he? He's getting it from both sides. The people are angry at him for their situation, and God is angry at the people, and Moses is the mediator. Eventually, Moses, sinfully, but we can understand the pressure he's under, he erupts. We see his response to God in Numbers 11, verse 12. This is Moses. Did I conceive all these people? Did I give birth to them that you should say to me, carry them in your bosom as a nurse carries a nursing child to the land that you swore to give their fathers? Where am I to get meat to give to all these people? For they weep before me and say, give us meat that we may eat. I am not able to carry all these people alone. The burden is too heavy for me. If you will treat me like this, kill me at once. If I find favor in your sight, kill me, that I might not see my wretchedness. Do you hear the anger in his words? And what's at the heart of this anger? But a lack of trust in God. 
He doesn't trust the situation that God has put him in, and he doesn't trust that God knows exactly what he's doing. Now, in our story in Mark 6, it doesn't seem that the disciples are angry, but they are confused. What Jesus is asking them to do does not make sense. And maybe you've not gotten to the anger part yet, but you're at the confusion stage. I don't understand. The disciples see no way they can feed all these people. And they suggest that Jesus' request is absurd. But Jesus doesn't balk. He goes on in verse 38 and he says to them, okay, how many loaves do you have? Go and see. Probably doesn't seem like a real solution. But nevertheless, to the disciples' credit, they obey. Do you again hear, do you hear the similarities between the situations? People of God questioning God's ability to provide. If you go back to the example of Moses, his lack of trust is clear. He gets angry and yells at God. But God is prepared, despite Moses' sin, to show that he is faithful and that he will provide for his people. He's also going to punish them. We won't unpack the whole story, but Jesus tells Moses to tell the people, tomorrow, meat is on the menu. And the day after that, and the day after that for a month, and here's what's going to happen. You're going to have so much meat, it's going to be coming out your eyes. You're going to be sick. You're going to have so much meat to eat. We could have another sermon about the consequences of sin. How we see what we think we need, and eventually it leads to our own destruction. Here's the God who has led his people out of slavery. Ten plagues, parting of the Red Sea, crushing of the armies of Pharaoh. The God who had made and kept promises over and over and over. But Moses looks at God and shakes his head and once again questions God to his face. God says, I'll give meat, so much so that you can eat as much as you want. And Moses said, but God, verse 21, the people among who I am is 600,000 on foot. And you said, I will give them meat that they may eat for a whole month. Shall flocks and herds be slaughtered for them and be enough for them? Should we go and buy 200 denarii worth of bread, Jesus? Shall the fish of the sea be gathered together for them and be enough? What's Moses doing? He's just trying to think on human terms. All right, God, a month's worth of meat. So much so that we're going to have all we want. We could kill all the herds. We could take all the fish in the sea. I don't think it's enough. This is Moses' assessment, that God does not understand the situation. But let's not be too quick to throw Moses under the bus. Because we've been there, haven't we? Where you look at your situation and you think, there's no way this one works out. There's no way God has no, knows what he's doing. Hashtag 2020. Right? What's going on? So where Moses is questioning God, but God responds. Numbers 11, verse 23. Maybe a good one for your memory work this week. The Lord said to Moses, Is the Lord's hand shortened? Now you shall see whether my word will come true for you or not. 
It's a way of saying, has my arm lost its power? Is my hand too short to care for you? Of course, he's powerful enough. And the question is, what does all this have to do with Mark chapter 6? You're smart. You've probably made the connection. But what we see is two stories that aren't exactly the same, but there's a lot of overlap between these conversations. In both cases, there's some doubt about God's plan and God's provision. The problem seems too big for any practical solution. But back in our story, Jesus tells the disciples, go, see what you can find. To their credit, they obey him. They don't understand, (laughs) but they go and they ask around. And they come back and they say, here's what we found. Five loaves, two fish. Gospel of John tells us it was the lunch of a small boy. A meal likely packed for himself and himself alone, not for himself and 5,000 of his closest friends. Only a few pieces of bread, but it's all that Jesus requires. In verse 39, he tells the crowd to sit down in groups. So we're told that there's groups of hundreds and there's groups of fifties. I think once again, we have a reminder of the people of Israel. You remember in Exodus, when Moses said, I can't handle all these people. And God said, divide them into groups, hundreds and fifties. He divided them into groups so that everyone could be well served. Perhaps this is similar imagery again. What we see is a massive group of people spread out on the green grass. And don't you know, it just warms my heart that Mark notices the green grass. And I had to wonder, why notice the grass? Of course, I notice the grass. Is Mark just a grass guy? Or perhaps this is a reminder that the perfect shepherd directs the people to green grass where they will be fed. Is that a stretch? Is that taking it too far? Maybe. Maybe not. Jesus is the shepherd who leads his people to green grass where they will be fed. Jesus is revealing himself as the one who can provide. And once everyone's seated, Jesus begins to serve the meal. Mark says he takes the bread and he prays over it. Verse 41, taking the five loaves and the two fish, he looked up to heaven and he said a blessing. And we're not told here or any of the other gospels the content of the prayer. I did learn this week that there was a traditional Jewish prayer that was used before meals. Listen to this. This is what normally the the man of the house would stand up and pray before a meal. Praise be to you, O Lord, our God, King of the world, who makes bread come forth from the earth and who provides for all that you have created. That was the common Jewish mealtime prayer. And it's possible that this was the prayer Jesus prayed as he held the mill just before he began to distribute it. We read in verse 41, he said a blessing, then he broke the loaves and he gave them to the disciples and set them before the people. And he divided the two fish among them all. And we're not given many specifics. We're not told exactly how the miracle played out. But we're told that Jesus took it and there was enough to give to his disciples. And then they took it 
And as they took it, there was enough to give to everyone. Everyone ate. 5,000 people. And there was more than enough. Verse 42. They all ate and were satisfied. And they took 12 baskets full of broken pieces of the fish. And those who ate the loaves were 5,000 men. I don't think there's any doubt about the point Jesus is making for his disciples to see. That not only can he provide, but he can provide in a way that everyone is fully satisfied. He can provide abundantly. Mark uses this number of 5,000 men, which implies there's many more when you count women and children, and Matthew says so explicitly. So if there's 5,000 men, but many of them have a wife and many of them have children, we could be as high as 10,000 pretty quickly. Jesus takes the bread, he gives it to the disciples, and they give it to the masses. They are all fed, they are all satisfied, and there's plenty left over. Disciples go and pick up what's left, and there are 12 baskets full. And many have pointed out that 12 baskets and 12 disciples don't think that's an accident, that Jesus is showing the disciples. So often when Jesus does a miracle, it's not even primarily for the masses, but it's for these 12 that he's training and showing who he is. Because they're the ones who are going to be sent out. And each one of them comes back carrying a full basket to say, Jesus, I can see now how you provide. And I'm really confident about that understanding of those 12 baskets because later on, we'll get to it, Mark chapter 8, there's another time when the disciples are questioning Jesus' ability to provide and he points them back to this. Mark chapter 8, starting in verse 18, Jesus asks, and we're kind of jumping into some context here, but Jesus asks his disciples, having eyes, do you not see? Having ears, do you not hear? And do you not remember? When I broke the five loaves for the 5,000, how many baskets full of broken pieces did you take up? And they said to him, we know Jesus. Twelve. Do you remember? Do you remember how God provided for you in the wilderness? Do you remember how you always had enough and more than enough? How he fully satisfies? Do you remember? Perhaps it's also significant. Not only that there was 12 disciples with 12 baskets, but that 12 represents the whole of the nation of Israel. Twelve tribes. And we see Jesus, the one who has come to be the true shepherd of the whole of the true Israel. He is the shepherd who provides for his people. If we stop here, we can leave confident in the fact that God provides. But let's try to tie this back together both this week and last Where did we start last week? Do you remember the question? What is the heart of Jesus for his people? Jesus looks at the crowd and he's moved with compassion as he sees sheep without a shepherd. And what I've tried to help us see over the past two weeks is that Jesus came as the perfect promised shepherd. 
The people of Israel were lost and wandering in the wilderness, but Jesus came as the perfect shepherd for his people. I think what he wants to communicate to the crowd and communicate to his disciples, what Mark wants you and I to see is that those who trust in Christ will always be provided for. And those who trust in him will be fully satisfied. And it's not just about physical breath. Jesus is all. Amen. He's everything. He's everything that we need. But here's the danger. The danger is that so often people see Jesus and may even get close enough to be fed by him. But even though they've eaten the bread, they don't trust him as the one who can truly satisfy. We know this was the case for Israel. It's the story of the Old Testament. How time and time again, they turned their back on the faithful God. Hosea says it this way. Hosea chapter 13. We always need to get a little Hosea out there just to remind you that it's there and you should be reading it. Okay? Hosea 13. But I am the Lord your God from the land of Egypt. You know no God but me. And besides me there is no Savior. It was I who knew you in the wilderness, in the land of drought, when the people had grazed, they became full, they were filled, and their hearts were lifted up, therefore they forgot me. This is the sad, recurring testimony of the nation of Israel. A people who are fed from the hand of God, and yet turn to walk away. And while Mark doesn't tell us about the response of the crowd here, we should go to the Gospel of John for just a minute. In the Gospel of John, we're told what happens the next day. The crowd eats, the crowd is fed, great miracle, everyone spreads out, Jesus leaves, but the next day we're told that this same crowd comes and finds Jesus again. Man cannot get rest. They come and they find him again the next day, and Jesus rebukes them. This is the crowd, church, that he had looked on with compassion. But he recognizes the rebellion of their hearts. They came looking for Jesus the next day, not because they truly believed in him, but because they wanted more bread. John chapter 6, starting in verse 25. When the crowds found Jesus on the other side of the sea, they said to him, Rabbi, when did you come here? And Jesus answered them, Truly, truly, I say to you, you are seeking me, not because you saw the signs, but because you ate your fill of the loaves. Do not work for food that perishes, but for the food that endures to eternal life, which the Son of Man will give to you. For on him, God the Father has set his seal. What's Jesus saying? I have come to do more than to give you bread. You missed the point. I came to be the bread. I came to be your shepherd. I came to fully satisfy every need of your heart. So we keep reading in verse 32. Jesus said to, the, to them, Truly, truly, I say to you, it was not Moses who gave to you the bread from heaven, but my Father gives you the true bread from heaven. For the bread of God is he who comes down from heaven and gives life to the world. So they said to Jesus, Sir, give us this bread always. Jesus said to them, 
I am the bread of life. Whoever comes to me shall not hunger. Whoever believes in me shall never thirst. But I said to you, you have seen me, but you do not believe. Truly, truly, I say to you, whoever believes has eternal life. I am the bread of life. Your fathers ate manna in the wilderness and they died. This bread that comes down from heaven so that one may eat of it and not die. I am the living bread that came down from heaven. If anyone eats of this bread, he will live forever. And the bread that I give for the life of the world is my flesh. What we see is that this miracle is not primarily to show the power of Jesus to create food, although he did. He came as the bread. He came as the shepherd. What is the heart of Jesus for his people? Compassion. He came as the shepherd of the sheep and a shepherd who can provide fully. Just as God gave bread to his people in the wilderness, Jesus gave bread to the crowds in a desolate place. And still today, Jesus offers himself as the bread that will always satisfy. Unfortunately, the nation of Israel and these crowds failed to understand. And now the question comes to us. How will we respond to Jesus? We've seen his heart. We've seen his provision. The question is, do we look at him as our shepherd? Do we trust him to provide? And do we cling to him as the one who can truly satisfy? And I want to push you, church, because we can all sit here and nod our heads in agreement. And I believe that you believe these things. But how do we respond on Monday morning? And Thursday afternoon? And Saturday evening? When it seems like the world is falling down around us? Do we see Jesus as our shepherd? Who knows our situation? Who can pull us in with the hook of his staff and beat off the enemy with the rod? The one who will lead us to calm waters and green grass. The one who has promised that he will never leave us and never forsake us. And it's true, church, that sometimes God will take us into the wilderness. He may take you into the wilderness to show you once again that he is faithful. And he may take you to a desolate place so once again he can show you his power. And if you are his, if you've repented of your sins and trusted him, you can be confident that he will provide. You are never alone and you will be safe in the fold of the shepherd. The feeding of the 5,000 is a reminder that there is a true shepherd that we can trust. I want to close by going back to Ezekiel 34. We've been in it a few times over the past two weeks. I just want to read you what God says about himself as the shepherd, and then we'll be done. Ezekiel 34, I'll start reading in verse 11. Thus says the Lord God, Behold I, I myself will search for the sheep, and I will seek them out. As a shepherd seeks out his flock when he is among his sheep that have been scattered, so I will seek out my sheep, and I will rescue them from all places where they have been scattered on a day of clouds and thick darkness. 
And I will bring them out from the peoples and gather them from countries, and I will bring them into their own land. And I will feed them on the mountains of Israel, by the ravines and in all the inhabited places of the country. I will feed them with good pasture, and on the mountains of heights of Israel shall be the grazing lands. There they shall lie down in good grazing land, and on rich pasture they shall feed on the mountains of Israel. I myself will be the shepherd of my sheep. I myself will make them lie down, declares the Lord God. I will seek the lost. I will bring back the strayed. I will bind up the injured, and I will strengthen the weak. Let's be a people who trusts our shepherd.